<laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to start with you, okay? What's your name? Jen. <laughs> Just for Jennifer, I cannot say it's in way. My name is Evelyn. Deep sugar. My name is Zamrindar. My name is Jajif. Hi, this is Ria. Hmm, where are you from? What are you doing right now? from Lagos, Nigeria. I'm just playing some FIFA. I am from India and right now I'm reading a book. I live in Jaru. I'm in the kitchen right now trying to make a sumptuous meal for myself. I'm currently lying on my bed. Or is it laying on my bed? I'm from India. Like, I currently I'm playing mobile games. Okay, I see you. So I've got a weird question. What's the first word that comes to mind when you hear the term artificial intelligence? Yeah, GPT. Technology, um, job loss. I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is robot. Machine learning, I don't know, machine learning, yeah. Or tech bro in Texas. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, yeah, so my name is Esai Humu. And I am Oinit Kaur. We are postgrad students at the University of Kiel, where we are studying for a master's in artificial intelligence and data science. A course requirement for one of our modules asks us that we spread the gospel of AI. To that end, we are making a podcast. <laughs> and I know you just groan, like, not another podcast. It's just four episodes, guys, I promise. It's called You and AI. You and AI. You and AI. You and AI. The goal is to help with understanding artificial intelligence, how AI affects you, and how you affect it. All of this will be delivered in accurate, expert-driven, yet easy-to-understand conversations. Each episode is accompanied by an essay on the website youandai.org. But this intro is already way too long, so let's get into it. Mohinit has a good way to kick off. Hmm, let's start by establishing the foundations, perhaps. Defining exactly what artificial intelligence is and how it came about and such, yeah? Nit, nit, that sounds great. Hit me. So what is intelligence? Oh my goodness. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, so do you remember when we read that Bench Capon book, Knowledge Representation? There was a fun exercise that I think I'd like to put out into the world and get people to answer. The thermostat one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this is how it goes. So a thermostat is placed in a room to measure the room's temperature. It can tell you when the room is hot and when the room is cold. Is that thermostat intelligent? Let's hear what people have to say. (coughs) Okay. Well, no, I guess the answer is no. It's not intelligent. As for me, the thermostat is not intelligent. This thermostat could be said to be intelligent. I think the thermostat is not intelligent. I believe that the thermostat is an intelligent device. Okay, so if your answer is no, then you're correct. The thermostat is not intelligent. Here's why. Intelligence is the ability to perceive information, retain it as knowledge, and then apply it towards adaptive behaviors within environments or contexts that change. So it includes the capacity for abstraction, problem solving, self-awareness, emotion, creativity, critical thinking, you know, all that good stuff. 
I doubt I can do most of this stuff. Yes, you can. Yes, <laughs> but, you can. But the thermostat can't do any of it. So, it yeah. cannot, exactly, no. which is why it isn't um, intelligent. Okay, so when we talk about uh, intelligence, it's really about our ability as humans to understand things, to reason, to learn from experience and, and based on that act, on that learning and, and being able to make judgment um, also complementing all of that with kind of what we describe as emotional knowledge. So intelligence or human intelligence in this case is all of these things. That's how I will define it. It's a big topic to cover. But if you were to boil it down to a few sentences, essentially that's what it is. That's our guest on this episode, Priscilla Ambai, whose research for her PhD at Keele University is in the algorithmic impact assessment to promote the ethical use of artificial intelligence. She is a senior consultant at Microsoft, specializing in cloud service management and has 20 plus years of experience with various positions in the field of computer science. Yep, you'll hear from Priscilla throughout this entire episode. Remember when we told you the acronym for artificial intelligence is AI? Um, we've just defined intelligence, so now you know what the I is. We have to then add the A. Mohinesh, you asked the question the last time, right? Uh, it, was, it was fun. What is intelligence? Now I'm bringing it right back to you. What is artificial intelligence? Ooh, I'll try. <laughs> artificial intelligence simply refers to the intelligence in computers and other machines. Mm -hmm. So it is a branch of computer science that studies how to make computers do intelligent things, which at the moment people do better, like perception, reasoning, learning, adaptively applying knowledge to changing contexts and environments. All the good stuff. Huh. You know, when I asked you the question, I thought you would have a hard time defining it because so many people define it in so many different ways. But yeah, that's pretty much how I define AI as well. So good job. You should clap for yourself. Thanks. <laughs> but let's ask the experts um, in the room as well. Priscilla, how would you define AI? Uh, okay. Another big question. <laughs> so I would say having described what, what intelligence or human intelligence is, I would describe um, artificial intelligence as some intelligence which is displayed by machines, um, such as when computers can take, you know, can undertake tasks that require um, some level of intelligence. So some great examples include computer systems that can maybe recognize speech, they can convert text, they can do um, uh, visual recognition, they can identify, maybe like identifying objects, uh, they can learn, they can do a lot of things to do with solving problems. So when you think of AI, you wonder, is it chatbots like ChatGPT, which you can seemingly ask anything? Is it robots like the kind Boston Robotics make? Is it image generators like Stable Diffusion and DAL-E? Here's a really good way to think about it. Do not limit yourself to the what. Instead, focus on the how. If an artificial system can perceive, think, and produce intelligent behavior, then it is AI. It can be software or it can be software and hardware. It could be a robot, an app, a chatbot, a car. AI is many things. AI is anything. 
So then what are different types of AI? Well, I describe AI in three types. Mm-hmm. Narrow AI, which can only perform domain-specific tasks like Netflix recommending us movies or series, chatbots, Siri, or basically everything that we currently have. Then there's AGI, the general intelligence on par with humans, with original thought, abstraction, etc., etc. And the third one, ASI, artificial super intelligence, which is exceeding human intelligence. We still only have narrow AI. So we, we haven't made general AI and let's not even get started on super intelligence or whatever that is. There are still mixed views on whether or not AGI is possible. People don't really take ASI super seriously right now. Um, so we, we are firmly in the realm of narrow AI and moving forward, right? So since late 2022, um, AI has really come into public consciousness. Um, a quick glance at Google search trends shows a really steep climb that started around November 2022, which coincided with the release of ChatGPT. Um, the chatbot from OpenAI that has taken the world by storm. Wait, wait. But let's start. Let's go back a bit. November isn't far enough? No. <laughs> <laughs> let's trace the history of this thing called AI. So, Priscilla, how did we get here? Oh, okay. How long have we got for this? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's a really big question. I think we can't really do it justice in the time that we have. But I can just kind of maybe even summarize uh, some of the key highlights uh, leading up to maybe where we are today. Um, I think if you go far back in the history, you may be able to find that um, uh, in a sense, AI is not really new. It's been something that's been evolving over decades. So um, the, the, where we are today has just made it a little bit more uh, widely, um, uh, uh, the awareness is out there. But in it, when you go back to history, you can see that this has been an evolution uh, to where we are today. You know what? I agree. If I had to, though, I'd start the timeline in 1950, when Alan Turing published the paper, Computing Machinery, and intelligence, in which he speculated the possibility of creating machines that think. In that same paper, he also proposed the Turing test as a measure of machine intelligence. Even the, just the term AI was first used, we believe, in maybe around the 50s, 56 or something like that. Yeah, absolutely right, Priscilla. The term artificial intelligence was uttered for the first time by John McCarthy while pitching the first AI conference ever. It was called the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence, which is a mouthful. (laughs) It happened in the summer of 1956 at Dartmouth University. So out of that conference came two splits on how to tackle AI. Some, like influential academic Marvin Minsky, thought the way to go was top-down approach of pre-programming computers with rules that govern human behavior. Others preferred a bottom-up approach, such as neural networks that acted like brain cells and learned new behaviors. For a while, pre-programming views dominated, funding was flush, and AI flourished. From 1956 to 1974, symbolic AI flourished. That's a voice from Amazon Polly, which is a text-to-speech product 
on AWS. Um, this basically means that we type in some words and the product reads them out loud in a human sounding voice. That's what text to speech means. All right. So we'll call this voice Osato because I'm a Bini girl and I like the name. Osato. <laughs> Osato. Can you Osato. say? Osato. Osato. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Osato will be helping us announce the different timelines while we give you this history lesson on how AI has evolved. And he will be helping us with a bunch of the other episodes. So where were we, Osato? We've just told them about the Darthmouth Conference SI. Following which, from 1956 to 1974, symbolic AI flourished. There were several successful programs within this approach. I don't know whether you heard about Eliza was the first chatbot that was developed around 1960, uh, 65. Yeah. Yes, Eliza? You know Eliza? All right. Okay. So that was a big turning point as well in the history of just looking back at AI of, um, you know, what, what, what was happening at the time. Yeah, Priscilla, Eliza was definitely one of the more successful AI programs during the 56 to 74 era. So Eliza was a chatbot that was released to much fanfare. Think of all of the hype around ChatGPT right now. That was Eliza back in the day. Obviously not nearly as smart, but, you know, um, the bar was <laughs> relatively lower then. It was created by Joseph Weizenbaum. Eliza could carry out conversations that were so realistic to the users at the time that they were o- occasionally fooled into thinking they were communicating with a human being and not a program. But Eliza wasn't the only program that was successful during that era. Other programs included Daniel Bobrow's students which could solve high school algebra world problems in japan they also had wabot which was a project in 1967 by waseda university it was the world's first full-scale intelligent in quotes humanoid robots or android wow as with all good things a hype frenzy emerged with all of these promising projects Remember Minsky from the Dartmouth conference? Well, researchers like him were so confident in the tech that Minsky told Life magazines in the 50s that from three to eight years, we will have machine with the general intelligence of an average human being. (laughs) Everyone seemed keyed into the hype. A lot of projects were funded and life was good. The first AR winter, 1974 to 1980. (laughs) Uh, by 1973 though AI was in trouble serious money had been spent with very little to show for it researchers had raised expectations impossibly high and then failed to deliver there was strong criticism all around funding for the industry was slashed as the Game of Thrones producers would say winter had come (laughs) even while symbolic ai which was the school of thoughts um that had the top-down approach and which was really flourishing at the time and then started facing all of this trouble so even while symbolic ai failed to produce serious results neural networks were still not seen as a viable option in fact the entire field one would say of um just the people who were interested in neural networks was shut down for 10 years because of devastating criticism by Marvin Minsky. There was another AI boom between 1980 and 1987. By 1980s, two things happened. 
Expert systems which mimicked the decision-making process of a human expert led to commercial, although hyper-specific AI success. Knowledge became the focus of mainstream AI research. With the focus on a small domain of specific knowledge, researchers were able to build useful AI applications. And when companies saw the impact, they invested over a billion in AI. The Japanese government's fifth generation project brought new funds as well. Then came another winter, which lasted from 1987 to 1993. You see, hype is a dangerous thing. It really is, it. It really is. Literally, when you start seeing a hype frenzy develop, you should run the other way, okay? It's bad. And in the classic pattern of an economic bubble, the business community's fascination with AI rose and rose and rose like Jack's girlfriend in Titanic. Until it fell. It fell down flat. Commercial vendors had failed to develop a wide variety of workable solutions. Over 300 AI companies shut down, went bankrupt, or were acquired. Most of the expert systems Mohini just told you about, they didn't learn. And they were too expensive to maintain. Even Japan's fifth generation failed to meet its goals. And so what happened? The money disappeared. Funding was cut. It was concluded that the technology, that AI, was not viable. The era of shame AI, from 1993 to 2011. So now we're in 1993 to 2011. During this time, time moves fast, doesn't it? No, it's not. It's not moving fast enough? All right. So during this time, AI's reputation in the business world was absolutely terrible. And within the AI industry, subfields cropped up to focus on particular problems and approaches, sometimes under different names to avoid the stain that the term AI now carried. They were disguising. <laughs> Oddly, during this period, AI just flourished. It was both more cautious and more successful than it had been before. But this increasing computing power, specific focus, and high standards of scientific accountability, big problems started to get solved. Yeah, AI researchers deepened collaboration with those in fields like mathematics, economics, and such, and the idea of intelligent agents came about. Banking software, Google search engine, are some few examples of larger systems um, of which AI Disguised AI helped build. So this period shows that useful, measurable, stable progress is best made in the absence of hype and hysteria and economic bubbles. Deep learning revolution, 2011 till present. Everything really started to pick up in 2012 when systems using deep neural networks far outperformed rival systems trained on other methods to win AI contests including October's 2012's ImageNet competition. In March 2019, deep learning researchers Joshua Bengio, Jeffrey Hinton, and Yan Likun were awarded the Turing Award for conceptual and engineering breakthroughs that have made deep neural networks a critical component of computing. And then even new, later on, then you even started to see things like uh, Siri, 
that became available on iPhones. That was around the 2000, 2011, 10 or something like that, which uh, was when Siri really became, you know, our voice control PA for our iPhone users. So um, you're right, Priscilla. Advances have been made in speech recognition, natural language understanding, um, and other such processes that have given us modern day solutions like Siri and Alexa. Um, computer vision, which is a computer's ability to see, and everything from DeepMind's AlphaGo to OpenAI's ChatGPT, and a lot of these solutions can be traced to deep neural networks. So right now, it is the hallmark um, upon which modern AI solutions are built. So when you look over the history, AI continues to evolve as we continue to generate huge volumes of data. Uh, computing resource is becoming even more powerful and affordable. That's a, a really important point to mention. And and so research uh, is also advancing in, in in new models being developed, new areas being looked at, and um, yeah. So um, it is we're on a journey, and the fact that uh, we keep generating millions and millions of data on a day-to-day basis with all the devices that we use mean that actually we're re- if you think about it, we're scratching the f- surface of our ability to analyze that data and make sense out of it. So um, so that just tells you uh, you know where the world is now in the uh, in the era of AI. Well, that was quite a journey. It was. So now we know what AI means. We have a broad idea of the journey to get AI research to where it currently is. But I think folks listening would like to know how exactly artificial intelligence is created. Priscilla, can you please help us with this? Oh. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay. Given the people, the audience, I suppose the people that are potentially going to be listening to this, we don't want to get into anything too technical at this point. But yeah. I'll just, I'll just summarize that uh, with how you, how does one create AI? Um, so I would say that at the simplest form, first of all, you want to start by what is the problem you're trying to solve? You have to. Pick the thing that you are, you know, I, what, what is it you're trying to do? Are you trying to rate a credit score or something? Are you trying to predict the weather forecast? What is it you're trying to? So once you identify what your problem is, uh, you, then you have to find the data for it. You would need data to be able to um, build your algorithm and so it understands. Uh, so you find the data for it. Um, in finding that data, you might find, you might, um, realize that the format in which the data is in may not be suitable for you to use. Uh, so then you might do something that we would call, um, data cleaning or data cleansing, which in effect is really about fixing errors and omissions that uh, will help you improve the quality of the data that you're going to be using for your, um, AI tool. So you've got your, your problem that you want to solve. You found the data. Then you need to create the algorithm that you're going to use. So algorithms are at its simplest form. Uh, I would describe them as a set of rules or a set of instructions, right? So you want to create the algorithm that is going to use the data that you found. 
uh, or indeed you might find one or an, uh, an algorithm from the many algorithms that have already been created if you find one that actually um, you know can meet the the requirement that you're looking for if it suits the problem you're trying to solve yes uh, there could be one out there but uh, say you're creating one you create one then you would need to train that algorithm using the data that you have found once you've done that training um you would have to to then choose how to get this out there and so what i mean by that is a platform to then deploy your solution it could be the cloud it could be some in-house type solution but um uh, yeah so you find some way to deploy it and it's available for use so uh in effect you to create that ai you need to identify your problem you find the data, you correct it, you may need to do some data cleansing, you create your algorithm, or you find one that exists, you train that model, you choose a platform to deploy it on, and and there, yeah, that's it for use. <laughs> you make it sound easy. <laughs> it is easy. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it can be. Okay, so throughout this entire conversation and in the larger conversation when people are talking about artificial intelligence, there are some terms that get thrown around, which I recognize might be confusing for those who are outside of the field. Um, so I think it might be a good idea for us to define some of these terms, two or three, um, as simply as possible. Um, what the words mean and how they relate to artificial intelligence. Sure. So let's play a game. <laughs> as serious researchers that we are, let us play a game. We'll call out the term like a dramatic game show host. And you, Priscilla, will please kindly help us define it. Okay, I will go first. What is machine learning? <laughs> oh, okay. What a way to start. Uh, so, uh, so machine learning, uh, usually called ML, is uh, I would say it's part of is the part of AI that refers to the ability to the model that's used for the AI. So, to, uh, for it to to use data to learn and improve its performance or accuracy over time. So there's this idea that as new information or as new data becomes available, your, the model that's built into the AI solution is able to use that to improve itself as part of a continuous learning process. So it's about self-learn, which uh, then means that the model can improve over time. So that is what machine learning is. So it is learning as it goes um, through its life cycle, yes. Yeah, you're right. Machine learning is not deeper than those two words. Machine learning is giving a machine the ability to learn without explicitly being programmed. So there are three different types of machine learning supervised trained with playable data sets, which allows the models to learn and grow more accurate over time. Then there's unsupervised, in which there's not much supervision needed for the models to learn. The third type is reinforcement learning, trains machines through trial and error to take the best action by establishing a reward system, much like when we reward people for doing good things. Mm. But a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah. But we can't, we can't go into, we no. can't go into all of that. Just know there's a reward system. Yeah. Okay. I guess it's my turn now. Yes. 
I'll try my best. I, I don't think I can do it as good as you, but I'll try my best. What are algorithms? Uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned this already. So in its simplest way, you can describe it as a, um, a series of rules or a set of instructions that you would expect a computer to follow in order to achieve or perform a task. And uh, so that is, in effect, that's what, what it is, basically. Uh, yes, in that it, you can have complicated, you know, millions and lines of code as to how it does goes through those instructions. But in the basic sense, it's just a set of rules, a set of instructions, a set of steps that you are giving a computer to uh, perform a task. Yes, so algorithms are a set of instructions. Well, a recipe the computer follows to solve a problem. Over time, intelligence emerges as the algorithm learns and it optimizes itself. Mm. You know, another phrase we hear often, and I think we've been saying often on this episode as well, is deep learning. No, 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 no. You didn't say it dramatically. Uh, Do you want to try again? Also, can Osato answer this? <laughs> okay, that's a great idea. Um, Osato? Yeah, SI. What's up? Osato, what is deep learning? Deep learning is a subset of machine learning. It is essentially a neural network with three or more layers. These neural networks are made up of connected nodes or neurons. With these connections, they attempt to mimic how the human brain functions by using interconnected neurons or nodes to learn from large amounts of data. While a neural network with a single layer can still make approximate predictions, additional hidden layers can help to optimize and refine for accuracy, with each node performing a simple calculation on the data it receives before passing it on to the next layer. Deep learning has many applications, such as image and speech recognition, natural language processing, and autonomous vehicles, and has proven to be a powerful tool for solving complex problems. Fantastic definition. Thanks, Osato. You're always welcome, guys. I'll let you get back to the podcast now. Back to Priscilla, though. So what do you think is responsible for the increase in popularity of AI now? Ah, <laughs> Yeah, so it, yeah, it's been a number of things that have just come together in recent decades, which has meant that the popularity of AI has just been astronomical. Uh, there's been, I would say, there's been a combination of things like um, all the, the research that's gone into the models that have been developed. So tremendous advancement in research uh, and development of models has been huge. Also, the 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 accessibility and I would say affordability of compute resources such as computer storage. Uh, computers are becoming more powerful to churn volumes of data in fractions of seconds, and uh, and which means that and and also the affordability means that um, uh, it, it's now um, you know the ability to use large computing resource to a process large data is not just something that was left for uh, big organizations to do. The, the, the affordability of compute means that, um, you know, it's, it's now accessible for many people to, to do experiments with. And therefore, that is driving some of the um, advancements that we're seeing. I'd also say that 
the uh, one of the critical things when you look at this is the abundance of the data that's being collected <laughs> by all the technology tools and apps that are out there. So on a day-to-day -day basis, you and I, millions of people, were generating millions of data points uh, by all the all the technology that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, with that amount of data combined with the ability to process that data in fractions of seconds using computer um, resources, it's the perfect, it's all of those things uh, just joining together to mean that, um, you know, AI now is something that uh, is is not something that's only for the a few you know, a few uh, perhaps uh, organizations that can afford it. It's now accessible to to millions of people on a uh, that we never have thought they would be part of this sort of storytelling. So, um, and all of these has led to primarily businesses primarily to explore how they can start to improve their, you know, products and services using AI. Um, so then, apart from the focus on businesses. Wanting to use AI to harness the the that power of AI in order to even compete in a market space. Um, I think what's also happened is is that outside of that business focus, there's also been the recognition that AI has the potential to solve some of the world's complex challenges that we're aware of. I'm talking about things like global warming, disease diagnosis, uh, food shortage by trying to improve agricultural products and stuff like that. So um, that's why AI is, um, uh, you know, at the forefront of everybody's minds because of all, all of these things uh, together mean that, um, yeah, there's, there's just so much around, around this space at the moment. Maybe AI is the answer. So um, I'm excited, uh, but I also want, I suppose, that um, we focus on AI on the positives and, and make sure that while we harness the power of AI, we use it in a way that um, uh, as a force for good to advance um, humanity rather than the dark side of AI, which uh, that's also there. I know we've not talked about it on this um, here today, but uh, yes, so we want to focus the energy in the right direction, uh, get humanity better. Uh, so that's why um, for me, uh, I think there's a huge, there's huge potential in AI. We just need to approach it in the right way. Hmm. Those are some solemn last words from Priscilla there. I think that feels like a good place to end things today. Yeah. So hopefully from this episode, you have gotten a sense of what artificial intelligence is, how it is created, the history of how it came to be, and a general understanding of some of the terms used in this field. Yeah. Thank you so much to our experts today. Um, who's Priscilla Mbai? Her research for her PhD at Kiel University is in algorithmic impact assessment to promote the ethical use of artificial intelligence. Priscilla is also a senior consultant at Microsoft, specializing in cloud service management and has 20 plus years of experience with various positions in the field of computer science. Before we sign out though, here's a quick word from Professor Ed D. Quincy on why the module for which we are making this podcast is important. 
I'm Ed De Quincey and I'm a professor of computer science here at Kiel University. I've been doing research and teaching in the area of online human behaviour for around 20 years now, looking into the design, usability and impact of digital products as well as uses of the information that they then collect. For those going into the AI data science field, the main thing that I want to say to you is that it's really important that you consider the users of the outputs that you create. There have been lots of examples that we've seen um, of the consequences of using limited um, and biased data sets. And unfortunately, this often stems from people not appreciating the diversity that's present in the world. And this, of course, is caused by the lack of diversity in the field. It's important then uh, that you know who you're creating things for, that you put them at the center of whatever you're doing and as part of that actively embrace and encourage diversity in the workplace and then we'll be building better products that are more suited to the people that they are actually designed for. So in 2019 I put together a funding application uh, for the Office for Students which is part of the Department of Education uh, in England uh, and the idea was to support the development of an MSc in AI and data science, which was primarily targeted at students from non-computer science backgrounds, so acting like a conversion course. The funding was also to provide scholarships of £10,000 for underrepresented groups in AI and data science, and in particular black, female and disabled students. So over three years we've had 24 students that have benefited now from these scholarships uh, on our MSc. The main aim of the funding overall is to increase the number and diversity of people working in the AI and data science industry, um, an area which the UK sees of course as being vital for the, the future. As part of the funding bid I said that we'd first of all investigate the barriers that underrepresented students have in applying for and uh, doing well on courses like this, which we've then in, used to inform the design and delivery of the MSc. Um, I then said that we create an AI and data science ambassador module which aimed to promote areas within AI and data science to a wider audience and also challenge the negative stereotypes sometimes associated with them. In this module, students get the opportunity to volunteer for an organisation to gain confidence in applying and communicating their subject as well as developing related soft skills that of course needed for working in industry. I think most importantly for me though, um, this module provides the opportunity for students to be a role model, um, not only for the subject of AI and data science, but also a role model for underrepresented groups as well. So we want to showcase what AI and data science can do, but also challenge the view of what an AI and data science professional looks like, um, and ideally then encouraging more people from underrepresented groups to see this as something that they can go into. For me, uh, it's been great so far to see the range of activities that students have done over the past two years. Um, we've had students volunteer in local schools, putting on outreach events, uh, working with local charities and companies. Uh, some have been producing online resources and blogs about AI and data science, and of course, podcasts such as this one. Thanks, Professor. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of a podcast. You and AI. How does it feel? How does it feel to have put out the first episode. We've been talking about this for so long. How are you feeling? Relieved. <laughs> All right, guys, remember to check the website for the accompanying essay to today's episode. It contains useful links and a bit about today's experts. UNAI is made by SI Uhumu and Moinit Kot. 
<laughs> Thank you to our guest and Vox Pop respondents. Music from this episode was produced with Python code. Check out the website on a post on how we did that. Great. So now that we know what AI is, on the next episode, we'll head to India to find out what AI can be used for. Until then, stay curious. Bye. You and AI. You and AI. You and AI. You and AI.